Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. All right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, tuning in. Just, uh, I guess I'm not doing the whole announcements, but uh, I did want to talk a little bit about um, the giving. And I know sometimes this is can be a sensitive topic, and uh, sometimes it's easier coming from me. I think like I'm not on staff, I'm not on payroll. I got no no hidden agenda here. But um, you know, there's a lot of people, even people within our church right now, that are that are hurting financially, and I think we'll probably continue to, you know, face some tough times ahead. And so one thing that we've done at GCC is start a benevolence fund. And um, it's been really cool to be able to help people who are in somewhat of a financial crisis right now, um, whether that's paying for someone's rent or groceries or, or things like that. And um, I would encourage those of you who um, have the ability to give right now to consider that, especially as potentially as... Um, these stimulus checks come in, you know, you can do whatever you want with those. But my encouragement would be to maybe pray about if, um, if that's something that you'd be willing to, to give up and give to the GCC Benevolence Fund and really, really impact our community in a positive way um, financially. Uh, so uh, there's also the normal giving, which um, there's some slides for. Uh, there's the Church Center app, great, super easy way to give. Um, there's also a P.O. Box, which is right here, P.O. Box uh, 41864, Eugene, Oregon 97404, with checks payable to GCC. And then also, as always, you can give online, um, gccugene.org, um, on the giving tab. So with that, I'm going to transition to my buddy Rick, who's going to come up here and deliver the message today. Good morning, guys. I want to welcome everyone who's tuning in this morning, as Caleb said. So, you know, we have people that call GCC their home and family, but we also have people that don't call GCC their home and family, and you guys are just checking out uh, our, our church or investigating Christianity. Wherever you're at, we want to welcome you. We're thankful to have you join us this morning and uh, be a part of our live stream service. So thank you. We're going to continue in our series this morning, A Praying People Part 3. So A Praying People Part 3. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to keep moving on. Uh, today marks the start of Holy Week, and today is actually Palm Sunday. So with that, we're one week away from Easter, and so we'll be doing our Easter live stream here, just like this next week. And so please stay tuned for that. Uh, we're, but today we're going to continue in our series of Praying People Part 3. With it, we're going to tie in how this verse today that we're going to be looking at from Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, directly um, ties in with uh, Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so we're going to look at how both of those connect. The main point this morning that I want you guys to walk away with and that I want you guys to remember is this, is make Jesus the king. So our church's mission statement is to make Jesus the hero. And today we're just changing up one word and that's make Jesus the king. And so we're going to dive into that and see exactly what that means, uh, what the kingdom of God means, which can be a confusing topic, and we're going to look at that this morning. But first, before we dive into that, have a couple announcements uh, that, that I want to go over first. So announcement one is that we are still meeting with our gospel communities during this time. We, we want to show that we value community and that community is a vital part of our uh, church. And so if you are not a part of a gospel community and you want to be a part of one, then we would encourage you to reach out to Hunter, 
Uh, she's our admin director, and uh, her email is hunter at gccugene.org. And so reach out to her, and she can give you the information to get you plugged into a gospel community. But uh, the times that our gospel communities meet are right here. We have one that meets on Monday. Sorry, we have two that meet on Monday, both at 6.30. We have one that meets on Tuesday. We have two that meet on Wednesday, and then one that meets on Thursday. And so, again, I said this at the end of last week's sermon, that uh, right now it's a tough time to try to uh, walk alone, and I would not encourage you to do that. And so I would encourage you to reach out and get plugged into a gospel community during, the, gospel community during this time. Also, uh, actually, I think that's it for announcements. Is that it? Great. All right. Next, then, uh, we're going to do our one-minute memes. We don't know how memes are going to work out because we changed up where we're doing our production from this week. So we're doing it from uh, Caleb's office. And so first, we want to thank him and Film Pack for giving us a, a space to do that. But also, I want to thank the people who you guys don't see each week that have been doing this and making this happen. And that's Josh Phillips and Nathan on. They're back behind the camera doing all this stuff. So uh, yeah, I just want to give them a big thanks as well, and you guys can thank them. But uh, we'll try the memes. We have a couple of them, I think a few of them to try out this morning. So first one is this one, milk, eggs, bread, toilet paper, and sanitizer. <laughs> Next. <laughs> I don't know if you can read this, but it says, when that stimulus check hits my bank account and there's like 20 rolls of toilet paper inside of the bathroom. So... And last but not least, my absolute favorite from the week is this is how deep inside your house you should be. And it's a man with an atomic wedgie. So there you go. Those are one minute memes this week, as we've said in, uh, in weeks prior, that it's important to laugh during this time and laughter is medicine. And so uh, especially with so much bad news coming our way. But ultimately, what we want to do is look at the greatest news, the good news of the gospel. So let's do that today. And allow me to open us up in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you've given us your word, and so we're not lost and hopeless in this time wondering um, what your word to us is. And In fact, you're a God who has spoken. You're a God who speaks, and you speak to us through your word. With so much bad news, it's a reminder of how good the good news is of the gospel is, Father. It's, it, it's a reminder that uh, you're not a God far removed, but you're a God who's close and you're, in fact, you're a God who has stepped into humanity to feel our brokenness. Jesus, you know what it is um, to feel sickness. You know what it is um, to feel grief, to feel pain, to have a body that's broken down. You know what this is because, God, you are a God who is near, who has stepped in, and your stepping in is what gives us our hope in times like this. We pray for everyone watching this morning that you would open hearts and open ears to hear and to receive. We pray that you would minimize distractions inside of homes right now. We pray that you would lead the leaders of our state and of our nation, of our world right now with your infinite wisdom, Father. We pray for those that are, are suffering uh, the loss of jobs, um, that are in a financial crisis. We pray that, Father, um, that you would provide for them. We pray for your provision. We pray that the church would step in in such a powerful way right now to help care for and provide for people. Father, we declare that we need you. And for anything meaningful to happen this morning, we need your spirit to move and work. Fill me and fill us. As I speak, as I preach, let me preach faithfully to your word. Let it be drenched in the gospel. And let um, the hearers listen well this morning. Make Jesus the, the king through the power of your spirit and for your glory, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
All right. Again, main point is make Jesus the king. In, in weeks prior for the past couple weeks, we have been looking at prayer. The reason why is because we believe that prayer is powerful. We actually believe that God can do more through a few saints praying than through um, um, a thousand people plotting and planning over the course of a thousand years. So we believe that prayer is powerful because we are praying to an infinitely powerful God. We've looked at over the past couple weeks a couple things. The first week was how not to pray is, is what Jesus teaches us in in, in, in prayer, as he says, this is how you don't pray. And we looked at what's actually needed is a perfect prayer life, which again, none of us has to offer. And so what we need is to put faith in Christ in his perfect prayer life on our behalf. We looked last week at our starting place matters because uh, the Lord's prayer starts off with a theology on God. It is our father in heaven. These four words shape our prayer lives. Why? Because we have eminence, God present. We have transcendent over and above we have identity here and supremacy here. We, we have a God who's very relational, but also a God who's omnipotent. And I would say this, my guess is, <clears throat> is that a lot of our problems come from what we believe about God in these four words. Either we will struggle to feel God's relational closeness to us or know him deeply as good and his father, or we will struggle to know that God is good, powerful, and in control, transcendent over everything. And in our culture, we run to a lot of things. We run to um, counseling, we run to therapy, and I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but I believe that when the Lord gives us uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus teaches us about this, that what this does is it gives us perspective on life, and this perspective starts with the theology on God. That's why we looked at our starting point matters. For we, we, we don't go to prayer to gain relationship with God. We go to God because by his grace, we've already obtained a relationship with him. This is not anything we've earned, but it's something that's been given to us by grace. And so we go boldly, as Hebrews 10, 13 says, with confidence because of the blood of Christ. And today we're going to look at this, verse 10 in Matthew chapter 6, and, and this is what it is. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Last week, we looked at just eight words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and I said what we can see in, in every line of the Lord's Prayer, in, in, in every single line, what we see is the gospel. It, it's actually Jesus, the greatest teacher of all times, the greatest preacher of all times, is giving the best seminary lesson on prayer, and he's at, it's actually all drenched in the gospel. It's made to point us to who he is and our need for him. The whole Sermon on the Mount, as we look at the Sermon on the Mount, is actually meant to show us that we can't do it. We can't obtain favor or acceptance before God. We need Jesus Christ to do that for us, and we need to place our faith in him. And so we continue with that today. Again, prayers shape our perspective. And our prayers don't change God. Our prayers change us. As we are telling God these things, as we are declaring these truths, these truths start to just permeate into the depths of our soul and they change us. So this week, we're going to look at this. Make Jesus the king. These 14 words, I believe, will shape our prayer lives. These 14 words will uh, shape our prayer lives through giving us a greater trust, but what they will also do is start to dethrone us and our kings and whatever we've placed as a king over Christ and whatever we are worshiping as king, and that they will start to dethrone these little kings and these little kingdoms so that Christ can be exalted to his rightful place and he can be the king of our lives. And so, but first, let me say this. There is no way in the time frame that I'm given here that I can do any justice to 
the subjects like the kingdom. It is a massive theme throughout the whole redemptive narrative. It, it, is, it is just a really big theme. And so what I would encourage you guys to do is if you want to know more about the kingdom, there's a great book called The Kingdom of God by Dr. Patrick Schreiner. It's a short little book, and, and it can take you uh, much deeper than we're going to be able to go today. But for, for the sake of understanding what the kingdom is and to be able to define it, we have a slide here. The kingdom is this. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is the king's people in the king's place where the king provides. So if you want to remember this or take notes, what is the kingdom? Whenever we say this, whenever we talk about this, this is a little bit of a tweak from how Schreiner would explain it, but it's, it's the king's people in the king's place where the king provides, okay? That's how we would define kingdom. In order for us to unpack this, and this is what I'm going to have to do, and I'm going to have to do it rather quickly, is I'm going to have to walk us through the Old Testament, where we can see this theme start, but we can also see this theme unfold that gets us to where we're at now in Matthew chapter 6 with the King, Jesus himself, teaching us to pray like this. And so in the Old Testament, the original kingdom that we, that we have, it's not explicit, but we can see it implicitly inside of the text is in the garden. In the garden, we have these three things. We have God's people, Adam and Eve, in, in the king's place, which is the garden where the king provides. He provides his safety, his protection. He provides food. He provides water. And he is a king that provides. But we also see the fall that comes from this. The king's people didn't want to be under the king's rule. They thought maybe the king wasn't good or, or that he was holding something back. And so they wanted to go and live their own lives and do their own thing. And so by that, a separation happened and they went outside of this original kingdom. But then what we see is that God still desires to be with his people. And so we see uh, the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Again, we see here that we have God's people, the nation of Israel, which we see throughout the uh, entire Old Testament in, in, in the king's place. What is the place? Even in the wilderness, the king's place is the Ark of the Covenant. And the king provides. He provides uh, manna. He provides water. And he provides quail. He provides for them while they're out there. But, but we see that there's a better place, a promised land that the king has told Israel that they will have. And so when Joshua takes them into the promised land, what they have there is they have a place. We have a people still, but we also have a king who provides. And in fact, in Joshua 5, he tells them, uh, uh, the Lord says, I'm not going to provide manna anymore because now you have the produce of the land. And so we see that the Lord provides for his people in this place. But we see that, that Israel wants a king, and they want a king because they want to be like the other countries. And so they reject God as king and say, give us a king. And so God allows that. Samuel is, is, is indignant by this request, and God says, don't take it personal in, in, in a sense. They're rejecting me, not you, Samuel. And so uh, a, a king is provided, a tall king, a handsome king named Saul, who we see turns out not to be a really good king. But then in 2 Samuel 5, we see that, that a new king is ushered in, a better king, but a really unlikely king. There's this king who's a shepherd, and, and he's the least likely to be picked out of all the other kings at the time. But he comes in, and this king's name is David, and David reigns for 30 years. David comes in, and he takes back Jerusalem, and he takes it over, and he conquers it. So what does David do? David, as a king, has a people, the nation of Israel. 
and he has a place, Jerusalem, where, where, where God dwells because he brings back the Ark of the Covenant into there. So again, we have these three things. We have the king's people, Israel, in the king's place, Jerusalem, where the king provides. David provides protection, and, and he pr uh, provides food and shelter and safety. One of the biggest things that the king provides through David, but also in the land of Canaan, and a big theme throughout Scripture, is the king provides peace and rest. So when the king comes in and takes over, he gives peace and rest. Now what happens is Israel starts to decline, and then we see these uh, promises made by prophets. We see this through Isaiah, and we see it throughout our Old Testament of, of promises that, that another king is coming to the line of David, a, a better king is coming to set up his reign, to set up his throne, to set up his rule. And then all of a sudden, we have this king named Jesus who's born. But he's not born like we would imagine. He's born in a manger. But he is, he, he is a king, none, nonetheless, who spends 30 years, roughly, living a pretty ordinary life. And then, in Mark's gospel, he jumps on the scene. Mark reads this, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, listen to what he proclaims, proclaiming the gospel of God, that's the good news of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus comes on the scene, as we see in Mark's gospel, and he declares that the kingdom of God is at hand. We can actually see this. We don't have time to turn to it now, but you guys can later. More explicitly in Luke 11.20 and Luke 17.21, Jesus says that the kingdom is among you. It is in your presence. It is, it, it is at hand. The kingdom is here. But then what gets a little bit confusing is when we jump in the passage today, Jesus is teaching on prayer, and he says this. Your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he doing? He's teaching us to pray like this. He's teaching us to, to pray to God. God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But wait, in Mark at the beginning, it says he already came proclaiming that the kingdom is at hand. And then in Luke, he says that the kingdom is among you. So what's going on? Which one is it? Is the kingdom at hand or is the kingdom coming? And I would say, yes, it's both. It is something that, that, that was ushered in as soon as Christ came to earth because God, the greatest king, came in the person and work and flesh of Jesus Christ. So God is king here on earth, ushering in the kingdom. How do we know that? Because in the Old Testament, we saw that it was God who ultimately bound the enemies of the Israelites, like the people of the land of Canaan. God destroyed the enemies. When Jesus comes in, he starts binding the demons. And, 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 and he binds them and takes their power away. What else does he do? Well, he's the kind of king that the nation of Israel would want because he uh, comes in and pre he performs miracles. So he's able to perform miracles, but he's also able to calm the storm and the sea. And right before Holy Week and Palm Sunday, he raises Lazarus from the dead. So this is awesome for the nation of Israel because this is the kind of king you would want. Why? Because Israel was hoping for a king that could come in and overthrow the Roman government and do away with them. And this is what match would the Roman government be for a king who can bind demons, heal the sick, calm the storm, and raise the dead. And so, so it's time, we would think, for Jesus' promotion, right? It is that this is amazing. This is, what, uh, the, this is the king we've been waiting for. And so we have a verse here which ties us into... Holy Week, and to Palm Sunday, is in John 12, 12 through 15. 
they say this. This is now Jesus entering Jerusalem. The, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees. They would wave these because palm branches actually symbolize uh, victory and triumph. And so they were waving these things in, in a sense showing that Jesus is conquered, that, 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 that the victory is here. And they went out to meet him crying, Hosanna, which Hosanna means save, deliver, rescue us. But also it means that you have saved. We praise you. We give glory to your name in, in the highest. Look here. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as, as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So here's what we have. We have Jesus in Matthew 6.10 saying, your kingdom come, pray like this. Because at this moment, Jesus had not reached his time to be lifted up. Jesus had not reached his time to go to his high place. Any king needed to be elevated to the place of the throne. And so when he was coming into Jerusalem and the people were excited, screaming, Hosanna, save us. Yes, blessed be the Lord our God, the king of Israel. He's here to save us. They were saying, it's time for your promotion. It's time for you to take your place in the throne. It's time for you to overthrow the Roman government. But what we know is this. Jesus didn't come in on a war horse. He came in on a donkey and a, a, a donkey's colt. He didn't come in showing that he was going to bring this war in through the shedding of blood, through a military victory. Jesus came in humble. He didn't come in with the red carpet rolled out. He came in riding on the cloaks of the poor people. He didn't come in to wage war for the country of Israel. He came in not to shed people's blood, but to shed his own blood. He would be promoted. He would be elevated, so to speak, but it was not going to be to the place of the throne. It was going to be to the place of the cross. And so that's what Christ came to do. He came not to ride in on a war horse, but he came to bring peace and rest. Christ came in to do just this. He came in to save a people. Those that put their trust and faith in Jesus Christ, what he did in his life, what he accomplished on the cross and in his resurrection, we become his people. There's no longer Jew or Gentile. There are the people in Christ. Christ came to give us a place. The place is no longer physical temple. It is us. We are his dwelling place that he dwells. He dwells within us. We have access to him at all times. And we have a king that provides. He provides his care. He provides his, his, uh, his protection for his people. This doesn't mean that, that, that illnesses or famine won't come. It means that he will never forsake us. It means that he provides for us by giving us not just bread, but actual spiritual bread. Jesus is, is the bread of life and he is the living water. He satisfies us by providing for us our soul's greatest needs. And so when Jesus comes uh, on the scene in Matthew 6 and says, pray like this, he's saying to pray like this, that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is pray like this. Pray that, that we want and desire this to happen but also give praise because this has happened, that Jesus has come, that he did usher in his kingdom. And just as he is ruling and reigning right now in heaven, we should pray and desire for him to have that sort of rule and reign here on this earth. 
it actually says in Ephesians 2, 5, that by grace we have been saved, but, but it goes on to say that we've been elevated with Christ in the heavenly places. So we would go, well, that's weird because we're on earth. But our salvation is so secure in Christ that it sees us as though, or he sees us as though we are elevated in the heavenly places with him right now. And so what does this mean for us? As I try to tie this all together, is how do we seek the kingdom? What does it mean for your kingdom come, your will be, to, to be done on earth as it is in heaven? I would say this, that when I wrote this sermon, that I was frustrated, bitter, and just angry. I was just struggling with things in my life. And I was just at a bad place. And here's the reason why, is I was at a bad place because of this. That my problem is, is that I have a utopian kingdom that I built and that if, if, if anything comes against it, then I get frustrated, I get angry, and I get bitter. Because what, what the reality is, is for many of us, and COVID reveals this about us, there are things that we set up as kings in our lives, baby kings. There are things that, 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 that we put as the place of king in our life that should not be there. And then what happens is when those things get uh, knocked off or dethroned, it stings. So when we lose our king, it stings because it reveals something, that we've elevated something to the place of king that should never be elevated there in our lives. And for some of us, if we were honest and we said, if, if we wanted God to give us one wish, it might be that we look different. Our kings in life right now might be success, it might be wealth, it might be the economy, it might be us getting to exercise. Our kings right now might be alcohol, it, it, it might be drugs. Our kings can be different things, but the reality and the reason why I was struggling for many of us is because I try to be the king of this kingdom. And any time that I get dethroned or knocked off, I don't see that as a good thing. I get frustrated and angry. And as long as everyone is abiding by my rules and my kingdom, then I will treat everyone well. But when everyone isn't, and I feel like I'm not getting the respect I deserve, and I'm not getting treated the way that I wanted to, then I am a king that responds with frustration or anger. And I would say our emotions tell us a lot about what our baby kings are. Our emotions in this time and what we long for after COVID tell us a lot about what our kings are and what our kingdom is that we're worshiping. So how do we, how do we dethrone these kingdoms? I would say this, the number one way, period, that we dethrone our baby kings and kingdoms, because here's the thing, if you're listening and you're not a Christian, or even if you are, whatever is on your throne as a king, whatever your baby king is, whatever that is, if it can be dethroned, then it's a weak and pathetic king, just to be honest. And then if, if it gets dethroned, then your kingdom and everything in your world gets shaken. And then therefore we get angry or frustrated or in despair, all those at the same time. We, we can learn to see that it's actually a good thing to get dethroned and for our little kings to get dethroned. When it stings, we shouldn't necessarily push back to that, but, but ask, is something in my so-called kingdom that I'm worshiping getting dethroned or am I getting dethroned and actually start to see that as a good thing. The gospel dethrones. How? Because at the essence and the core of the gospel is this, is, is us unable to do and provide for us in our greatest need. Our greatest need is not to overthrow uh, the military, to overthrow the government like Israel wanted because Rome's not even around anymore. 
Our greatest need is not for COVID to get wiped out. Our greatest need is not for our economy to, to, to thrive and strive. Our greatest need that we have in this life is that our sin separated us from God and we need the King, Jesus Christ, to reconcile us to God. We are incapable of doing that. The only way that happens is through the gospel. It is the good news that we can't do it and that Christ did it all and we put our faith and trust in him. The way we dethrone ourselves is, first of all, is to put our trust and faith in the gospel and that we have the King that did the work that we were unable to do. And what this does is, is it dethrones our entitlement. When, when I'm not treated with respect by my wife or spouse or when my kids aren't obeying the way that I think that they should or respecting me, it helps because when I'm the king, then I feel like I should be treated this way. Maybe that's how you are as a worker or an, an employer, that I should be treated this way or talk to this way. But the re- reality is, is Jesus had all right to be praised. And he was disrespected. He had his beard ripped out. And so what we see is the king who deserves to be exalted and praised actually going to the cross and dying a criminal's death. This dethrones me because it shows me actually what I deserve to be on the cross. And what I don't deserve is to be a child of God. It dethrones me because I don't have the ability to say that I deserve this. And if I'm not treated this way, then I'm going to respond like this. I say that I don't deserve to be a child of God but in all reality, to be separated from God. And I'll say this in closing. Is being dethroned is going to be painful. Being dethroned will be painful. Having our little gods, our little kings dethroned will be painful, and it's going to sting. But when we make Jesus the king, then we actually have an unshakable hope for our lives. When we make Jesus the the king and when we actually pray for your kingdom come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, what we're actually playing is this, is Jesus, would you please save us? Would you please help us? Would you please be the king of not parts of my heart and life, but my entire heart and life? Would you please be the king of my family? Would you please be the king of Lane County? Would you please be the king of our nation and of our world right now? Would your kingdom come in such a way as you are high exalted on your throne and kingdom? Would you be that way here on this earth in our life right now? If we pray this way to, 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 for your kingdom to come, what we are saying is, Jesus, help me to trust you with my salvation, but help me to trust you as king, that you're king over the macro, but the micro. Every single detail in life, we can trust you. And whatever is going to further your kingdom, advance your kingdom, then let that come. Let your will be done. Shape my desires to be a desires for you. And push back and, and dethrone me and all the little kings that I've set up in my life so that you can be exalted to your rightful place in my life and in my family's life. Pray for the kingdom of God to come in our lives, in our families, all around us. And also do this. Pray Your kingdom come, your will be done, because in the end, we recognize this. We are living in a broken world, filled with sickness right now, filled with deaths, filled with grief, filled with a lot of pain. And we recognize that Christ has done everything that needs to be done for us to have a relationship with him, but he has not come in such a way to to, to do away with all sin, uh, to do away with all grief, to do away with all pain, but one day he will. He will return, and we should pray like that because when he does return, he will do away with the pain and the sickness and the grief. And as uh, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.12, we will reign with him forever in glory. And so pray like this and pray that the kingdom of God would come and start to save and transform every area of your life, dethroning you and putting Christ to the rightful place. And the gospel does this because the gospel says, I'm helpless. Lord, I need you, my king. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that, that Christ, you are king. We thank you that, Lord, you've saved a people. You've given us a place. You dwell with us, and you provide for us. You provide your life. You provide your death. You provide our greatest need held out in the gospel. Thank you for your victory, Jesus. Let us cry Hosanna because in that we cry, Lord, save us. But let us also cry Hosanna because we say, blessed is the Lord who has saved us. Amen.